Hi, this is Think Sustainability. Today, a story about taking the power back from producer Emma Rappaport. Okay, I'm Donna and we are in Yakandanda in a housing estate known as Yakandanda Heights and we're standing in front of my wall of power. (laughs) Standing in front of Donna's house is like looking into the future. According to my six-year-old son, that's like some sort of spaceship blast-off lever, but I've told him he's not allowed to touch it. It may appear to an outsider like any other typical suburban home, with children's bicycles stacked down on the front porch and washing swinging on the hill's hoist. But Donna's home is a model for how all Australian homes could one day become 100% reliant on renewable energy. Bottom left is the um, slimline LG battery, which is the batteries that um, Mondo decided to use for this um, setup. It's basically just like any battery in any appliance. It's just the thing that stores the power. This house, alongside 13 others on the estate, is not only connected to the national electricity grid, but is within itself a microgrid system and can instantly disconnect and become a completely self-contained unit, relying solely on power generated and stored from the sun. My understanding is that when you get um, any sort of a solar system installed, it has to have that little PV circle put on it um, so that anyone that comes to the house to do anything to do with power knows that there are solar panels on the roof. Donna can also monitor her family's energy use via this little device called an UBI, allowing her to optimise her energy usage and reduce her power bills. I can also log on if I have nothing better to do with my time. I can sit there and watch it update itself every five minutes, which at the beginning, I must admit, I did do a lot of. Especially on a day like today, I would turn the kettle on or the toasty machine or the oven or something with an element in it and then I'd run inside and log on to Ubi and see the little... It's like the line on the heart monitor, you know, like it goes through the roof and then comes back down again when you turn the kettle off, so... But that's not all Donna's futuristic house does. In a couple of months, that little Ubi device will allow her to share any excess energy stored up in her battery with her neighbours next door. And one day, even allow her to power her children's classrooms down the road. Hi, I'm Emma Rappaport, and this is Think Sustainability. What's the one thing you can see glinting on the roofs of many houses across Australia? Gone are the days of satellite dishes. Solar panels are in. New data from Roy Morgan, an Australian market research company, shows that nearly one quarter of Australian households have invested in solar panels, accounting for over 2% of our electrical energy production. And it's obvious why. Australia is dripping in sunlight. And a solar panel boom is taking a place around the country, driven by falling technology costs and increasingly volatile electricity prices. But what if those panels could do more than just power one home? What if while you're at work, the school across the road could use your unused power and you could make money from it? What if your solar panels could power an entire community? Today we're going to bring you the story of one community in northeast Victoria 
which is about to benefit from a pilot project to generate, store and share electricity locally. This project could revolutionise the way that both rural and urban communities consume power and put Australia on the path to 100% renewable energy. So my name is Matt Charles-Jones. I'm the uh, Executive Officer of Totally Renewable Yakandanda. Four years ago, Matt had a dream. To see his hometown of Yakandanda in northeast Victoria, rid itself of fossil fuel and move to renewable energy. Uh, I grew up on a small property alongside the Kiwa River in the Kiwa Valley and uh, I spent a lot of time, like many kids and many country kids in particular, uh, playing in mud and rowing boats on river flats and and floods and so forth. And uh, I suppose I have developed a really strong enthusiasm and interest in the natural world and the way we're doing electricity at the moment seems to be really harming the natural world and so that's the connection point. This connection to the natural environment is what linked Matt to other activists working on community energy projects around the country. And so Matt started to think... What we might be able to do in Yakandanda. Out of this unique community spirit, Totally Renewable Yakandanda, or TRI for short, was born. And a passionate group of locals set themselves an ambitious goal. To switch to 100% renewable energy by 2022. Although at that point we actually had no idea about how we were going to achieve 100%. But it looks very feasible at this time. As the saying goes, success doesn't happen overnight. So Tri started out small, going door to door, convincing the residents and business owners of Yakandanda to upgrade the energy efficiency of their properties with LED lights and better insulation. Stage two focused on generating renewable energy itself, placing rooftop solar panels on homes via a bulk buy and on a number of community owned and commercial businesses. The uh, community owned hospital in town has since gone and installed 99 kilowatts of solar on their roof and they did that in consultation with us and us talking about uh, what the value to them might be. And interestingly, that's become a really nice story because that community-owned hospital now has halved their power bill and the exciting part of that is that they have recently lost the services of their existing private GP service and they have been able to afford with the energy the energy money saving they made, they were able to afford to sponsor a continuing GP service in town. So there's a direct correlation between the installation of the solar panels and their ability to provide health services. As green technology progressed and prices came down, Tribe was able to connect Yak to battery providers, allowing properties to store and use energy at night. And after that, smart control systems You can think of the smart control system as a computer that allows you to monitor your energy usage and potentially share that energy, like the Ubi Donna has at her place. This system of solar panels, batteries and smart monitoring is called a microgrid, and in October 2017, Tri installed them in 14 homes in Yakandanda Heights, including Donna's home. Let's go to Matt to clarify how this whole microgrid system works. The way that our microgrid is working at the moment is essentially the participants are using their existing retailer. They generate power during the day and the excess power from the charging of the battery then just gets exported off to the grid. 
In the evening, as solar generation slows down, they switch over from using their solar panels to using their battery. Depending on how they've set it up and how much charge they've got during the day, they use their battery through the night and then the cycle begins again the next day. But as Matt explains to me, any additional power generated above the battery storage capacity was still getting exported off to the national grid, preventing Yakandanda from reaching true energy sovereignty. But if the residents could work together to share excess power between themselves, energy could be kept local. Luckily for Tri, the batteries, solar panels and smart monitoring systems, which they'd already installed on the 14 houses as part of the microgrid, are mini-grid ready. So the microgrid is a setup that those houses have on the estate. And when they're all connected, that forms a mini-grid. And the mini-grid is what can send power to the rest of the town. And overnight, they could turn the community into a power-sharing neighbourhood. The modelling is that we can get to a 90% supply of electricity using uh, a little microgrid connected together to create a mini-grid. And we can get to a 90% renewable supply of electricity in that way. What that means is there's a diversity of use during each day. This diversity of use means that if some are out during the day, at work, they can export their power to be used by their neighbours, by the school and by the hospital. And then in the evening they use their battery to provide their energy needs. But after all this work, there's still a missing link. The crucial thing to make the microgrid operate as a mini-grid is the addition of an energy retailer, so that the solar power being transferred between neighbours can be measured, tracked and on-sold. Matt explains that instead of going with an existing energy retailer, like Energy Australia or AGL, Trias opted to create their own energy retailer, essentially a community energy retailer owned and operated by Yak and Danda. And so we're in the early phases of setting up a community energy retailer. The main reason being not only would it help them support renewable energy in their community, but would keep the money made from generating and on-selling energy in Yak and Danda got a really strong belief of the importance both of getting a, either at the very least a, a competitive tariff for electricity but we also have a strong ambition that we return the ability to make decisions to invest in their own energy supply. Matt is hopeful that once the mini grid is fully operational then he can expand it across town and allow Yakandanda to get to 90% renewable. After that Tri will need to look at larger scale infrastructure like solar farms, to get from 90% to that elusive 100% renewable goal. You'd have to say that there's communities right across Australia and around the world that really clearly see the advantage of renewable energy and stored power and that it's something that's a natural progression in the supply of electricity and we have been quite fortunate to do quite well in Australia with coal-fired power but we now understand both the problems associated with digging up coal and using it to generate electricity, but it's it's now cheaper to do electricity with renewables. So why would we continue a, a legacy system of energy supply when we can now do it more cheaply with renewables and doing it in a way that is more affordable for everybody to participate in and not require big corporations to do it for us? 
It's not just Yakandanda that's reaching for that 100% renewable energy goal. From the northern rivers in New South Wales to Kununurra in far northwestern Australia, microgrids are now being incorporated into the design of new towns and suburbs. However, as communities feel the fragile power grid with renewable energy, this can create enormous problems for electricity distributors who own and maintain the networks. Why? Our electricity networks were not originally built for local generation sources, like rooftop solar panels. Until recently, power has generally flowed only in one direction, from a large, usually coal-fired power station to you at home. However, the growing number of household solar panels on the network have changed this landscape, and now power flows both ways. Solar panels can actually make managing the grid more complex, because the voltage rises when they're generating power. A small voltage increase is not a problem, but when you're not at home and not using any energy for your lights or for your stove, you're sending it back to the grid. And by doing that, if you send too much back to the grid, the voltage will continue to rise and rise, which isn't good because what that means is your solar system could overload and shut down altogether, meaning no generation and no money made for your power generated. We wouldn't expect any community to be an expert on how to regulate voltage. I mean, that's a job for the network companies. This is Jeff James from the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. Jeff is also part of the National Community Energy Strategy, which is helping projects like Yakandana to grow and benefit from the experience of other community energy projects all around the country. But the network companies actually need help because... To fulfil community ambitions for lots and lots of solar, and Yakandanda is certainly an example of a community that's really active, really switched on, they want to go 100%, they're well along that path already, they're going to reach the point, if not already, when the amount of solar they've got starts to make it difficult to manage the network. And that's just a technical thing, it's nobody's fault, it just happens. How to address that? Well, the network can spend money on new equipment or bigger wires or whatever's needed. Uh, That can be a lot of money. But if the community wants to go ahead right now and put lots of solar on, we'd like to try help solve that problem. And one way to do that is by using the solar or by using the solar and storage to help the voltage. Can you give me an example of how that might work in a community like Yakandanda? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, in fact, as far as the the people who live in Yakandanda are concerned, they just buy solar or they buy solar and storage using their usual channels and they're working with a local business that's helping the community realise their ambitions. Now, what comes with that solar and storage is a special controller and that can, with uh, everybody's permission, be used by the network to send out a little extra bit of energy or change the way energy is delivered so that the voltage is managed. This needs to be supported not just by the technical platform but by some rewards for participating and by some understanding of where this control needs to be applied. So that's what we're doing. We're stitching together all the parties that need to work together to make that happen. However, Jeff says it's not just their focus on solar configuration and monitoring voltage that's pushing Yakandanda towards our 100% renewable energy goal. Back in March 2017, solar panels and battery storage were installed into the wastewater treatment facility in a trial capacity to see if they could power it fully through renewable energy. There are hydro options for storage that would allow the larger amount of renewable energy to be integrated and shared at the times when it's really needed. So they've really thought ahead and they've got a good plan. 
And that's what communities need to achieve. They need to have a level of integrated planning so they can look at the resources around them. It's going to be different wherever you are. And I think communities across Australia are starting to to gather and share this information. We're having this conversation in Sydney. You know, you work in Sydney, I work in Sydney. We're talking about something that's happening in northeastern Victoria. But I think for anyone that is listening to this from a major city, they kind of think, well, that happens in the country, that happens in rural places, that happens in small communities. And I wondered, from your perspective, do you think this is actually a system that can be implemented in larger cities as well? Yeah, of course it can. There's there's no reason that, that it can't be. Uh, it's, of course, more dense, and some of the options, like micro-hydro, probably isn't going to work in suburban Sydney except in a very few special places. But solar and storage is, is, a, is a mainstream solution now. And the ability to work with network companies is as relevant here as it is in remote sites because urban networks also have difficulty managing large amounts of solar. The same things happen. It's just more compressed in terms of distance. Thinking about Osnets, since we were uh, talking about projects in northeastern Victoria, in uh, the suburbs of Melbourne, they have a, uh, a community project at uh, Maroolbark where they've actually taken a network feeder offline. So that's the wire that goes down the road. They've actually switched off the connection and allowed that feeder to run independently of the grid for a period, powered only by solar and storage in people's houses. So that was amazing. Actually, it's world-leading. How's um, it going? <laughs> uh, it's going all right. So this is a, this is a trial. They're, they're not. It's not ready for mainstream everyday use, but they showed that it can be done and that it didn't all fall over in a heap. It kept going just fine. And so as more and more local areas get that level of solar that they can in principle be self-supporting, it's a way to make the networks more robust gives them options if things get difficult, if it's a really hot day, demand shooting up, the ability to take elements of their network and allow them to run independently and be self-supporting, that's actually quite a powerful contingency measure that I think is going to be quite important as time goes by. These energy alternatives give those like Donna, her family, her children, the opportunity to take the power back and pave the energy future for Yakandanda. Our first electricity bill, we used enough battery power overnight and fed enough back into the grid that it covered all of our electricity costs easily and about half of our daily power charge, you know, the charge that doesn't change no matter how much power you use, it's just a service fee. And this next bill that just came in in January, we were minus $71, which was really my goal because I knew that we'd cover our electricity costs easily over these six months of spring and summer when it's sunny. Um, It'll be a different story in winter, but that's just the reality of living in Yakandanda because it's it's cold. (laughs) It's cold in winter. (laughs) It's cold in winter and depending on what sort of a winter you have, sometimes the solar gain's not so fantastic. Exciting to be part of one of the first ever communities. Like oh this. yeah, super, super exciting. What do your kids think? Um, <laughs> apart from thinking that that's a uh, <laughs> some sort of spaceship um, lever, but I think I'm sure if I listen to the playground talk, I'm sure they're quietly quite proud of that. Emma Rappaport with that story. 
Thanks for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and haven't already, please subscribe. You just need to look for Think Sustainability in your favorite podcast app or also on iTunes. We have a website, 2ser.com forward slash Think Sustainability. You can find out a little more about the show there. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company. Thank you.